So Money Episode 178, Richard Davies. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. So honored to have you join this podcast. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I know that some of you have told me that you've never really listened to podcasts. And so here we are. I'm just really, really, really touched to have you as my community, my audience, my 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 podcast compadres. Uh, love hearing from you. Remember, you can always email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com, or you can go on somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh. And there you can leave your thoughts about the show. If you have any questions for me, I answer them all the time on the weekends. Saturday and Sunday is Ask Farnoosh. And so today we've got a fantastic guest. He is a friend. He is a colleague in the news biz. He is journalist Richard Davies, and he's covered many of the most important events of the past few decades, including the fall of the Berlin Wall, the 9-11 attacks. He even traveled with President Clinton on his campaign plane in 1992. Today, he brings his experience and expertise to his new podcast, a new podcast called How Do We Fix It? He is uh, co-hosting this show uh, with Jim Meggs. Together, they discuss solutions to problems that we hear about every day in the news, like personal finance, space exploration, parenting, you know, too many TV and radio shows present the issues through partisan bickering or tired old rhetoric. So how do we fix it? Richard's show aims to find positive views and resolutions and to be kind of a repair manual for the real world. And I actually will be on the show soon. So do check out How Do We Fix It? Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. They're a new podcast. We want to give them some love and a shout out. As I know, it's very difficult sometimes to to get a community together, uh, it takes time. Doing a podcast is a marathon. And Richard is uh, just uh, such a leader in the broadcast space, has been doing radio for most of his professional life. And now I'm just really excited to see him transition over to podcasts because I think this is a wonderful place for him. And I think he's going to find his audience and uh going to learn more about Richard right now in this show. We're going to learn why he's actually happy that his career in news did not transition to an on-camera correspondent role, which would have meant more money. You know, more money isn't always a good thing. And Richard, for many years in his career, was a, a radio guy. He was a business correspondent for ABC News covering business and politics. And on the radio, though, it was not on camera. And he kind of explored getting on camera didn't quite pan out, and he's glad for it. How his wife's IRA outpaced his by tens of thousands of dollars with one very simple decision. The financial problems, among others, that Richard aims to solve on his new show, How Do We Fix It? And also, I'm curious, I asked him, when did you know it was the right time to leave? I couldn't only imagine how difficult it is to be in a career path in at a company at ABC for decades and then decide, you know what, I'm going to cut loose and I'm going to do this on my own. 
Uh, what gave him the inspiration? How did he finally make the decision? And how can we all find a similar drive and hunger and inspiration and confidence, really, to, to make that move? So without further ado, here is our fabulous guest, Richard Davies. Richard Davies, welcome to So Money, my fellow podcast guru. How are you? So great to be with you, Farnoosh. Um, you have been one of the inspirations for my podcast, How Do We Fix It? I moved after three decades at ABC News as a business finance correspondent, also covering major news stories. And it sure is a big change. Uh, every day is a new challenge. Well, I'm so honored that you said that. I, for many years, have been looking up to you. You're uh You've, as you said, you've been at, you were at ABC for three decades covering business news, politics. You've covered pretty much a lot of landscape, I would say, from 9-11 to political, from elections to uh, – and now uh, podcast land. I'm excited for you to be entering this sphere. It's a really fun place to be, and I hope that you're having a good entry. How's it been? Are you? And your show, by the way, is called How Do We Fix It, which is just brilliant because, as you say, there are a lot of shows out there where there are pundits and they take a very – you know, it's very one-sided or there's arguing and your show tries to really bring happy solutions. Let's let's leave the podcast feeling invigorated and as if I can actually take on uh, the problem. Uh, has does happy sell though? Do you find that that's actually working? That you know, having a show that's about solutions and people being nice actually works. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's very early days, but this was born out of a frustration. We like to call ourselves a, a repair manual for the real world, a snark-free zone. And the idea behind the show was really born out of my frustration as a reporter that we were always talking about conflicts, left versus right, and that during my career, I think America has become more negative in the political sphere. But on the other hand, when it comes to business, there are all kinds of shows and all kinds of efforts out there to, to solve problems. And so I kind of wanted to get that problem-solving mentality that you have in the business world and put it over into the politics world. It's not just happy talk. Mm -hmm. It's more a sense of let's look at some different fresh ideas and try and move the debate forward rather than conservatives and liberals always sniping at each other. And what sort of problems are you interested in solving, at least in the in the first stage of this podcast? Is it grand schema thing problems like Paul, you know, turmoil in the Middle East? Or is it, you know, how to raise your teenage son who's refuse to talk to you the yeah, last I think two it's, weeks. It's both. It's the stuff that all of us are talking about. And that isn't by any means confined to politics. One of the first shows is with Beverly Harzog, who's been on your show, uh, talking about fixing credit card debt. You know, she's a fascinating person. She plunged into personal bankruptcy, was a shopaholic, got into big trouble with her credit cards, um, finally, you know, stared down uh, a wine glass and thought, oh, my God, this is not where I was supposed to be. <laughs> 
and is now in the business of fixing people's credit problems. We had her on the show talking about personal debt. We also have interviewed uh, Phil Platt of uh, Slate, the bad astronomer, talking about how we fell out of love with the space program and how America should try and you know get back in there because it's it's a very important part of our future. Another area that we talked about is uh, your taxes. Most of us spend maybe is a third or or even more of our income on taxes. Where does that money go? How is it being spent? So efficiency in government was something that we thought we'd tackle with a guy called Philip K. Howard, who's who is a really terrific guest. And then back on the on the parenting front, um, Lenore Skenazy of Free Range Kids uh, talking about how many parents are over controlling, not exposing their kids to risk. And Abigail Baird, who's a wonderful uh, neuropsychologist, also a uh, uh, the, the parent of two young twins uh, talking about how we get the right mix with our kids and technology. So just a whole range of issues, but really things people are talking about and concern them in their everyday lives, not just politics. In many ways, your transition to podcast, like podcasting has been it, – it, it makes perfect sense. You have the art and the science for this. You have the experience for this. You have the voice for this. What has been, though, for you a bit of a learning curve as you have made this transition? And I also want to ask because I think a lot of my listeners might be contemplating transitioning in their own careers. After 30 years, how did you know it was time to try something new? So first, yeah. how has the entry been into podcasting in terms of the maybe the, the challenges? And also, how did you know this was the right time to, to make the move? Well, our show, How Do We Fix It? I think the biggest challenge has been how do we find an audience? How do we monetize? How do we make money from this? Uh, those are all things that I'm not particularly good at because it's not my um, – Forte, you know, I'm I'm a pretty good broadcaster. I think the show is great, but I still have a lot to learn on exactly how to find an audience and how to uh, how to make money and to also build a community for this show because it's not just about making money. Many s successful business people they were driven by a passion to do something different and provide a different service. That's what we're doing as well. So trying to reach that audience is is a huge challenge. Um, answering your other question, which is on, you know, uh, making the transition. I just thought, let's try something new. You know, I, I, I have adult kids. My kids are 25 and 29. One is working on being a yoga studio owner. She's put a bid on a studio in New York City. The other is an artist. He's a, he's a painter. They are both out there on their own. And I thought, you know, they are so brave. And every day they're facing new challenges. And the one thing that you don't get as an employee of a large company even if it is a, a, a really interesting job like journalism is, you don't get as many daily challenges as you do when you're in business for yourself. And yes, that can be frustrating and exhausting, but it can also be really invigorating. And I look forward to that challenge of just being out there, putting myself out there and seeing if I can make a success. And that was really the, the motivator. That's so beautiful. And actually, I do recall this story. I was stalking you on your blog, and you wrote a little bit about this as a Father's Day tribute to your children, that they have really taught you a lot about uh, and encouraged you to, to make this transition. So um, it's so nice to see that happen. It's a nice turn of events a little bit. Yeah, I think one of the great things about your kids as they get older is 
the, they really teach you things as well as you teaching them things. I think it starts off with your kids being little. And yes, you learn a lot about yourself as a parent. But then increasingly as they get older, you learn more and more from them about how, uh, and their challenges. And it, yeah, it has changed me. Well, we wish you the best of luck with how do we fix it. I I echo all of your sentiments about feeling unsure about how to market it and how to get your audience. And I think the one fat, I think beautiful thing about podcasting is that it lives in iTunes, <laughs> largely. Exactly. Yep. And iTunes is a great platform. And I think, as I've always been told, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I think for someone with your career, you, you know, you, you know, you have a lot of patience, it sounds like. It, well, I don't know about that. Well, you're, I know you're learning how to have more patience as your kids are showing you, but it does take some patience, but it's also instantly gratifying. You know, you air the podcast and and uh, people give you feedback right away. And it's like, for me, the best part is just having the uh, the creative control, which is something you probably had, but not to this extent now that no, you have that's, your That's, your that's really true. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that you work for Yahoo Finance and for other big media outlets. And when you do work for somebody else, they assign the story. They tell you what format they want it to be performed or written in. And this is more, you know, we very much decided on our own format and created, I think, a brand new show. My co-host, Jim Meggs, who's the former uh, editor-in-chief of Popular Mechanics, and I have a lot of fun with this. I also have a great producer, and uh, we, you know, we've created something new, a new kind of sound, a new kind of program that kind of isn't NPR, but is kind of halfway between commercial radio and NPR. That's about a, a spontaneous discussion uh, rather than just simply a piece that's perfectly put together in 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 uh, small sound bites mm-hmm. with uh, lots of sound effects. Yeah, you can be a little messy on the podcast, and, and <laughs> yeah. listeners are okay with that. Well, I'd love to do a deep dive uh, and and learn more about your financial perspectives, Richard. You know your experiences with money and. I'm, I'm happy to hear you're having some cool guests. I'm a guest on your show coming up. I'm, ha- yes, you I'm proud are. to say. And so you're obviously interested in, in the, in, in money, obviously. You know, you're a business correspondent for ABC News for many years. How, what would you say is your financial philosophy? If you could distill it, if there's one money mantra that you have, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us, what, what is it? Before I answer that question, let me say, let me have a big shout out for Farnoosh because on our next show next week, uh, you will be on it and uh, giving some great advice about money. And you certainly know more about this subject than I do. But I think that my philosophy has been formed to a large extent by uh, my experience as a reporter. And that is, you know, check once, check twice, be skeptical. Um and, and that really goes to looking at financial products. Um, there are a tremendous number of different options out there. And I think just doing your homework and doing your research is, is job one. And then the other thing I think that I feel strongly about is a sense of balance in life. Um, yes, it's great to go out there and, and spend a lot of time making sure that you've, you've figured out your uh, different financial options. But don't knock yourself out with it all the time. You know, we are parents, we're lovers, we're uh, enthusiasts for a whole range of different things. Don't devote all of your life to finances. But as you've reminded me, and, you, and you've done this in, in the show that we have coming up, it's really important that uh, you uh, at least 
know enough about your finances, they're not a constant headache. They're not a constant cloud over your head. Right. Yes. It's it, it, You need to acknowledge it and appreciate it for what it is. And some people don't even want to go to, to that extent. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just baby steps sometimes is all it takes. I, I do think that, you know, I, <laughs> I haven't always followed my own advice, but I've always spent a little bit more than I should have done. <laughs> uh, uh, but not a lot more. And, and, and a lot of that spending a little bit more than I should have done has been on things that have given me great pleasure. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether I really regret it or not. Um, for instance, things that give me great pleasure, I've always allocated uh, money to travel. I travel every year somewhere new so that uh, I have a fresh experience. So I, I don't think it's just about getting stuff you asked me about my approach to money. It's not just about stuff. It's about your ability to to use money to win or gain new experiences in life. Yes, and we'll talk a little bit later about your your expenses. They are your guilty pleasures and uh, the the expenses that make your life easier or better. Because I do think that you're absolutely right. And studies have shown that when we spend money on experiences and getting a, a sort of the feeling that we want in life. Uh, it's money well spent, and it actually does increase happiness. Yes, it does. Yeah. I, I, that's right. As long as it doesn't become a constant obsession, <laughs> and as long as you're not always comparing yourselves to other people, whether you're a little bit ahead or a little bit behind in that race. Oh, yeah. Uh, do things to satisfy yourself. Take us down memory lane. I'd love to capture an image of Little Richard growing up. Where did you grow up, by the way? <laughs> little Richard. Little Richard. Little Richard. Baby Richard. Richard, yeah. Um, I, I was born and raised on Long Island in suburban New York um, and uh, grew up there. And then my parents, who were both British, um, my oh. father came to me when I was 13 and said, we're going back. And I went, what do you mean? You know, I'm an American. I'm an American kid. And my parents had English accents. And, and they said, well, my, my, uh, my head office has assigned me to go back to England. And so we moved to England when I was at the age of just 14. Oh. And that was a huge shock for me and really hard. And I, I have to say, as a second child, and a lot of second childs are rebels, my big rebellion when I was a teenager, when I was a kid, was I'm American, my parents are not. And I spent many years wanting to come back to the United States. I'm, I consider myself a, a first-generation American, even though I was born here, almost have an immigrant sensibility because I chose. I've actually had to really work to come back here in my, uh, in my late 20s, and I did. So uh, uh, I see myself very much as an American, even though I have English sisters and many English relatives. Wow. So now culturally, what was your – experience with money growing up. What was the conversation about money like? And was there a conversation about money ever? And uh, I'm just curious, like, was there a clash from British culture and American culture that you recognize at a young age? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. When I was talking with you for our podcast, How Do We Fix It? You you had a great story about how important money was to your family because your, your, your parents were immigrants in the Middle East and, and came over here 
and you know, learn, living the American dream was really important to them. And they, they included you in that. I would say that we were very different. Um, I don't think money was discussed nearly enough in our household. Um, and I think that as parents, if there's one mistake I've made and my wife made when our children were, were, were young, was we didn't talk enough about money with them. There's no reason to be obsessed by it. But I do kind of wish that, that they were a little more money savvy uh, than, than, uh, than they were when they were little. I mean, they've got, they've got better in time. But, it, but I think that money conversation is important and we didn't have it very much at all when we were kids. Um, partially because we were lucky enough to be fairly comfortable. Maybe mm. that's why. Yeah. But I think that with a lot of people, money is considered to be off the table as a, as a polite source of conversation. And that's something that needs to change. Did you ever want for things when you were a kid? And did you have an allowance? Or how did you go about, as I would have manipulate my parents to get me <laughs> something or pin one parent, you know, side with one parent and I don't know. It was sometimes a very a game of politics trying to get, you know, a new sweater in the Tarabi household. But I'm yeah. just I always I'm curious about you know any similar stories growing up with you. Yeah, you probably went to your dad, right? Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> um, I didn't have. Yeah, there were there were always things I wanted, but but I didn't have a very strong desire specifically to uh, to get, you know, specific things. I will say this, though, that when I was a kid, when I was 13, um, I did something that kids can't do anymore. And that is I delivered the evening newspaper. Um, I come home from school and whether it was snowing or rainy or hot or cold um, and get on my bike and deliver about 35 newspapers to nearby houses um, in suburban Long Island. It was for Newsday. They had this great uh, delivery program where they encouraged kids to deliver the newspapers and you were paid Gosh, I think it was – the newspaper was five cents a copy and I was paid, I think, 0.4 cents for every newspaper I delivered. Oh, <laughs> and my I, gosh. I relied, I relied mostly on tips. <laughs> yes, I, I, was, I would imagine. That's if like people, – If people tip me well, I put the paper in their door. If people tip me OK, it was on the porch. And if people didn't tip me at all, the paper was on their driveway. <laughs> in that the rain, yeah. <laughs> but I think that gave me a sense really at a very young age of, you know, making money for myself. And I always had um, holiday jobs growing up. I pumped gas. Um, and when I was in college, you know, I did a whole bunch of different little, little jobs. Um, but, you know, really just to get by. My parents didn't give me a big allowance, which was great. Um, and so they, I did th do those odd jobs. But maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe this is more perception than reality. But I think there were, it was, there were more, it was easier to do that when I was growing up in, in the 1960s uh, than it is today. You mean having a job as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was more of a tradition um, than it is today. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I think there were more opportunities for kids to take, take little jobs. Well, now it's like it used to be you could get a job at the Gap folding sweaters when you were 15. Now those jobs are going to – you know, since the recession, it was like there's a lot of demand for those types of jobs now because it's not just the teens who are competing for them, but even, you know, people who are older who yeah. are laid off or need to right. work because they didn't save enough for retirement. Um, so, yeah, the economy has created an, an environment now where m very, many people are competing for jobs that maybe just a teenager yeah, that, that may change. I, I do feel the economy is getting stronger, but the jobs market overall is really only halfway back right. uh, to, to where it should be. 
Well, thanks for that glimpse, for that uh, blast from the past. That was pretty fun to to imagine. Um, and so just a one note, you know, you said you were delivering newspapers at a young age. So you've been in the news industry for quite some time. <laughs> I have a tape of me at age nine doing a newscast. <laughs> oh, my so goodness. I've, I've always wanted to be in news. And, you know, there are times when I thought, why aren't I making as much money as my friends? And then I reminded myself, look, you know, you this was your destiny. I've always done uh, the the career that that I wanted to do. I'm really lucky in that regard that I always had that passion. I always mm-hmm. wanted to do radio. I love radio. And I think one of the great things about podcasts is that they're the new FM. When we were kids or when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm older than you. Um, FM was really coming into its own. And, um, and, you know, there had just been AM radio. And now we have podcasts that are really coming into their own. And I just think it's a really exciting time for radio, which is still such a wonderful medium is so often ignored. It's been the outhouse of media uh, for a long time with with people always talking about video and internet and and, uh, the other new things. And podcasts are now a relatively new thing. And I think they've really added a great deal of energy and excitement uh, to audio. And, you know, I, I, I was at a conference last week and I just wanted to share this anecdote with you, Farnoosh. Um, a, a radio consultant called Valerie Geller got up and she said, you know, when you're in the car on your own, you turn on that black box and whether it's a podcast or a radio show of some other type, you're all of a sudden you're not on your own. And I thought that was kind of cool. I like that idea that when you're listening to your show or listening to my show, you're not on your own. You're, you've got a companion. And I think that's, you know, a wonderful thing about radio. It's definitely a unique connection that you have with the correspondent and the people that you hear on the other side. And I know that I connect with my listeners occasionally one-on-one. I offer a free 15-minute session to review people who leave. This could be a good tip for you, you know, leave a review for my show on iTunes. And once a week, I'll pull a name from the from the list and we'll connect, you know, for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And we'll just, so your listeners just, I find they just want to they want to chat. You know, they sometimes they connect with me. They don't have any financial questions. They just want to chat. But idea. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I tell you, it's helped a lot. I get about five, six new reviews a week uh, in a time now where, you know, many podcasts have just uh, tapered off with reviews because, you know, people come and they say, oh, well, she's got 100 reviews. What's my review going to do? Mm-hmm. But I have over almost 300 reviews in, in less than five months, about five months now. So and I attribute that to all of the guests who, or the listeners rather, that have been maybe encouraged to do so because I've been offering them um, – you know, money sessions with me, but now they just end up being just chat sessions. And sometimes listeners say to me, you know, I feel as though it's, uh, I know you really well. You know, they, they ask about my son. They want to know how my husband's doing. How's my renovation project going? And sometimes they forget that I've disclosed these things <laughs> on the show, but they don't forget. And it's really, it's, it's touching and it's nice to, uh, just to know that you have this community suddenly that you've, you've basically created out of thin air. That's exactly right. You've created a community. and But there really is an intimacy about radio that I don't think exists with TV or with most uh, websites. Well, I would like to talk about failure now. Uh, we were doing so well. Well, I'd like to talk about failure because uh, I think it's very revealing. I think often on the other end of failure is success. So when it comes to money in your personal life, Richard, would you say there was ever a 
It doesn't have to be catastrophic, but it would be a categoric failure or mistake or regret that uh, you're almost happy it happened and the lesson that you learned. Um, yeah, there, there, there have been a number of stumbles along the way. I, I, I wouldn't say that there's been anything catastrophic, but I do think that the one thing that really was, was uh, something that I regretted at the time, which I really learned from and I'm very glad happened, was I tried to make a move into television um, at the network television level and had various interviews, in, including one with Peter Jennings, sitting with him for half an hour uh, when he was anchor of World News Tonight about being business correspondent at ABC News. And, and nothing came of that. And I kept knocking on doors and I really failed at that. And I look back and now and I consider myself a radio guy and also was given a comfortable but not incredibly um, affluent you know I, was, I never became wealthy at ABC News radio but whereas television news correspondents tend to make a great deal of money but so I didn't you know make as much money as I thought I was going to but I ended up spending a lot more time with my family um, my work enabled me to you know have some time off you know I worked hard but I also had a lot of weekends off and a lot of time with with the kids the other thing that happened was I was assigned to my horror to do morning drive radio and get up at 3.30 in the morning which I did for more than 20 years oh my gosh and, and that was tough but on the other hand what was such a gift what was so great was that I'd come home at noon and I was Mr. Mom in the afternoon I was the only dad in the playground very often when my kids were growing up. I really knew my kids. I really had time to spend with my kids. So sometimes a career setback or a career that maybe isn't in the fast lane but is you know in the, on the medium track instead can be a really great solution for a parent who is trying to you know balance their lives because life is a balance, a balance between career, a balance between relationships, a balance between uh, you know fathers and mothers and their children. That is so true. And I love what you're saying here because essentially, you know, it's, it's, life's about trade offs, right? And it and, is. And in your, from your perspective, you were doing what for you was considered, considered maybe like the middle ground. You wanted to be a TV reporter making oodles and oodles and buckets of cash. Right. Uh, but just from the outside in, Richard, I mean, someone looking at you who was aspiring to become a radio correspondent, you're at the epitome of that. You're at the pinnacle. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just saying. That's why, just that's saying. why I tell that story reluctantly because it's yeah. not- you know? I know. It's like, where do you go from there? Um, exactly. But no, I, it, it, uh, it, it was, uh, you always want to, you know, I think that that's what drives us ahead. We always want to get to that next mountaintop. I think there are a lot of reporters in television who are doing incredibly well, who make lots of money, who wish they were anchors. And there are lots of anchors on local TV who maybe own the market and they're incredibly successful. And they wish that they were, you know, uh, what Brian Williams was before. Right. Wrong. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's another, that's another that's another episode. Although I'd love to dive into that. But, but um, I do I do think that everybody, um, maybe not everybody, but I think the vast majority of us do have hopes and dreams that will will achieve more. And I, I think that sometimes we need to be satisfied with with what we've got, or realize that because maybe we're not as successful in one part of our life, it enables us to be successful in another. Right. And and to look at the equation and not focus so much on the success variable, but the fulfillment variable as well. Uh, as Tony Robbins has taught me, success without fulfillment is failure. So perhaps you would have gotten that anchor job and made tons of cash. But if you weren't spending any time with your family, deep down at the core, you would have felt like there was something a lot, something big missing 
and that would have not really been success in the grand scheme of life. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that Tony Robbins saying, you know, it's so interesting. Sometimes a one sentence slogan or, or a saying like that, uh, success without fulfillment is failure, is, is quite profound. And that's certainly true with, with, with that. Mm-hmm. I repeat that to myself uh, a lot these days because it's, <laughs> life's getting busy and I need to make choices and say no a lot to things that I don't really want to because it's a great opportunity. But then I think if I have to hire a second nanny, that's something's wrong. <laughs> right. There's something. Right. This is not balance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, I get so much joy out of now my relationship with my kids. And I think there is a sense in parenting. And I, I know there is in business, too. This isn't just a, a parenting thing. You know, you get out what you put in. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, let's talk about success, Richard. What would you say is your biggest financial moment, a so money moment that you felt really proud of yourself. What happened and take us there? Wow, that's a that's a that's a great question. And I'm not sure I have a a, a very a very good <laughs> answer for it. But um I think that probably the the best um decision I made was to automatically save for retirement. And it sounds kind of boring, but just that check off um, of just, you know, not even seeing the money before it had headed into my paycheck, just putting it into that 401k fund and, and building that up was was definitely a, a big success. And then the other thing I think also is it's been on property is taking um, buying ha- homes and just quietly, calmly over years, doing them up and making them better and, um, you know, making money from that. Uh, Those are both good money moments for me. And in New York City, you know, the the trick is to buy and hold. And and over time, you will you will make a nice, quiet nest egg for yourself. Yeah, yeah, you will. I mean, I know that that the property market, which is so often portrayed by the national media as a national market, is intensely local. There are some markets that are much, much stronger than others. And some of this really is the luck of the draw. I mean, many people who've made a lot of money out of real estate, it's purely because, you know, they were lucky to buy um, low and, and sell high. And it had nothing to do with their own skill. But I do think if you look after your property, mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, that's definitely going to improve your chances. Yeah. Well, that's encouraging for me because I'm renovating as we speak and hoping that I will see the other side of this soon and be happy that I did it. I think I will. I hope so. Hmm. Let's talk about <laughs> habits. Easy thing. No, it's not. Especially when you've got little ones and it's, but it's all good. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a huge project and it's the summer, so it could be worse. It could be, you know, middle of winter. And, right. um, what is your number one money habit, Richard, if you have one, something that you do, uh, regularly, consciously that you think is, uh, that has a direct benefit to your financial well being? Yeah, I, I think my number one money habit is to, is, is to be on top of my, uh, investments and to, um, Check my bank account and my, you know, investments as frequently as possible. Uh, I don't mean every single day, but I do try and check in with things every week. And then the other thing I think I've learned from experience is, you know, I used to 
constantly make little investment choices. And um, I've, I've learned to be more patient and to hold off. But, you know, you were asking about failure a minute ago. I, my biggest failure, I haven't even told you about. I just remembered. Oh. <laughs> here's, my, here's my biggest failure. Okay. Um, my wife has, a, has a, had an IRA. We took out in, in the mid-80s when we were really young. My wife and I took, both took out IRAs. She left hers in the Magellan Fund, and then it became Fidelity Capital Management or whatever, and pretty much left it alone. That fund grew from, I think, four thousand dollars in the in the mid '80s, and I think the, at my last check, it was you know it's worth over seventy or something like that. Wow. Anyways, in that region, okay, and just left it alone. Left it alone, grew over time. You know, dividends were reinvested. Blah blah blah. I, on the other hand, thinking I was so smart because I cover money and I could spot the next big trend. I invested in satellite radio. I invested in a bunch of other companies. <laughs> they did terribly. My fund, which started at four thousand, you know what it's worth now? What? Five and a half thousand. Oh no! Fees? What was it? Just and, and so the point of the story is: out of my failure, I learned. Exchange traded funds, unless you really know what you're doing, this is what you do for a living, leave your investments alone. Check them frequently, sure, but don't move your money in and out of different things. And where possible, avoid individual stocks. Um, mm -hmm. They usually, you know, and also avoid actively managed funds. They usually do not outperform the market. So just, you know, take a, a, take a more relaxed approach. Take your foot off the pedal in the sense of always trying to, to move and shift your right. investments according to your latest hunch. At least in my case, I was lousy at it. You hear that, everyone? You know, Richard, I get so many emails, especially from young adults saying, I want to invest, I want to invest. And I know what they're really asking. It's like, pick, give me some stock picks, Farnoosh. Give me some stock picks. And I just, I, I, I sound like a broken record, but I'm so glad to hear this from you as well. So it's not just me, everybody. Boring is better. You know, yeah, boring is better. Boring is better. Actively managed funds. You're paying all you're getting out of that is uh, more money out of your pocket to pay for fees. Uh, performance historically is is sometimes not as good as index funds that are just passively following an index like the S and P 500. So if you have a retirement portfolio at work, if you have an, an IRA with your bank, check the ingredients and make sure that the cost ratios are low as can be. That you're in as index funds and. You know, you're just you're not spending more money than you have to be. Great advice. Okie dokie. We are almost wrapped here, Richard, before I let you go. I'd love to have you fill in some blanks. Okay. So if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is. <laughs> go on an incredible vacation. Where would you go? You've been to so many places. You go somewhere new every year. Well, where have you not gone that you would like to visit? Oh, some, that's the thing with going new places every year. You, the list grows exponentially. Um, I would definitely take my family on a, on a great trip, uh, probably to Machu Picchu in South America. <gasps> nice. I think that's where I'd go first. I think that's where I'd go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Maybe I'll, yeah. uh, I'll, tap, I'll piggyback you on, with you on that and one. I, and I would – and then when I came home, I'd set up a vacation fund and wall it off in the rest of what I do. So that I always had money to travel with my wife and my kids somewhere each year. Wonderful. All right. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? The one thing that I spend on it, that makes my life easier and better is, is definitely travel because I come back with new experiences uh, from those different places and new perspectives. 
You're making me want to get out and travel. <laughs> With a one-year-old, it's it's it's, yeah, it's, it, it's a challenge. When our kid was when I, when Kate was 18 months old, we went to Australia and Fiji, and it was really great. Uh, so you can travel with a one-year-old. All right. I'm going to put it on the list. <laughs> okay. My biggest I, I'll, I'll do your I'll do your podcast when you're away. Oh, perfect. Done. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. I have a substitute. <laughs> Excellent. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is? Biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is probably eating out. Yeah, mm-hmm. eating out. Eating out at restaurants that are really delicious and terrific, but really are pretty darn expensive. I know. New York City, it's like... It's, it's and, just, and there's so many wonderful choices. And <laughs> But yes, that's definitely a guilty pleasure. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is... Great question. I uh, Gosh, there are a whole bunch of things I wish I'd learned. Um, one is that... St- Stock pickers usually don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and the other one is that real estate brokers are acting for the deal and not for the seller. Um, that doesn't mean they're bad, but their interest is getting the deal t- to, uh, t- in place so that they can get their commission. Yeah, I know. It's such a bum market sometimes. You know, what are you supposed to do? I just had a real estate broker on the show. And she's actually a good friend of mine, an excellent broker. And I was like, Kathy, just... I just don't know why I should hire a broker if I'm selling my apartment, you know, and I, or or vice versa sometimes even. And she said, yeah, I, it's like getting heart surgery without a surgeon. I do think she's right. I do think you should hire a broker. I just think you should be aware that, that when you hire a broker, that even a good, really good broker, that their natural interest is is to make a deal. And that's not necessarily your interest. It's not that they're corrupt or that they are um, not honest, but their natural interest is not always the same as yours. Just be skeptical. But yes, I think hiring a broker is a good idea. And when I donate money, I like to give to blank because? I like to give to um, charities that don't um, get a lot of coverage or don't get enough money. Um, one of the charities that I really like to donate to is Médecins Sans Frontier, which is Doctors Without Borders, because I feel they are always there helping people with the greatest need, very often in places where they get virtually no media coverage. Um, and I think they're just a great organization. That's great. Oh, I love that. And finally, I'm Richard Davies, and I'm so money because... I am so money because not to be so money would mean I was so bankrupt. <laughs> and you are not bankrupt. So that is that is no. so money. Yes. Thank you so much, Richard Davies. You're uh, a fun guest and even more fun host. Everyone check out How Do We Fix It? It is on your local iTunes station now, uh, which means it's everywhere. Um, Farnoosh, the definition of having fun is when you look at your watch and going, go, oh my gosh, that really was 40 <laughs> minutes and or 35 minutes. I thought it was 10 minutes. So this was a lot of fun. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I mean it, Richard. I'm, I'm really excited for your show. I'm honored to have been a guest and I look forward to uh, helping you spread the word about it because I think it's a great show and it needs to be needs to be downloaded. Well, thanks so much. And your show is great, too. And thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm flattered that you wanted to, to chat, or, chat with me. My pleasure. Have a great one. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Richard, his website is howdowefixit.me. 
and follow him on Twitter at Davies Now. We've got all this info at SoMoneyPodcast.com, along with the transcript and comments from this episode. And of course, as I said earlier in the show, I want to hear from you. Head over to SoMoneyPodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and ask away about money, work, life. If you just want to send a, a thought or two over my way. I mean, people have been writing in saying they think my brother's cute. Um, they want this particular guest on the show. They don't have questions. They just have thoughts for me. And I, I welcome all of it. So looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in to my guest, Richard Davies. And I hope your day is so money. <laughs>